now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. I hope you didn't put anything in the oven because it's going to burn because we're going to be a little while, all right? Y'all got a minute? All right, don't even look at your watch. Don't look at your watch. Just hang in here, okay? Man, that was some good music, Sean. That was good. I almost said Tom. <laughs> we would know better. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, hey, listen, everybody loves a great comeback, don't we? Anybody like a good comeback? Oh, man, don't you? We, I mean, we love them. We just love, I love sports comes back, comes back. I love sports comebacks. Um, I, and I looked it up a little bit. I looked up some of the greatest sports comebacks of all time. And number one on the list, well, on my list maybe, other than the Cubs, but it was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, when he retired from basketball, the greatest basketball player of all time, amen? Came back from retirement, and it was good. It was good. It was a great comeback. And he didn't just come back for basketball. He came back and played some baseball also. Tiger Woods, even Tiger, you know, he went through a tumultuous time in his life, and, uh, you know, he was all up in the news, and then he came back, and, and he won it. After 11 years, he won the Masters. Wasn't that pretty cool? That was a good comeback. I heard he had to drop out of the Masters just today because he was having some health issues. But in 2016, my Cubbies, my Chicago, that's why they got the highlight. Um, my Chicago Cubs, after 108 years of not winning the World Series, they were down three games to one. And they came back and tied the series and took it into extra innings and won the 2016 World Series. And I was thrilled. I got a cap that even had the commemorative logo on the side. I loved it. And then, I hate to even bring this one up because I know we've got some, some, uh, some Atlanta fans, but the Patriots came back from being down 28 to three at halftime to win the Super Bowl 51 um, against the Atlanta Falcons. And who remembers the 1993 Bills over the Orioles? Oilers. I said it in the first service too, or, because they haven't played as the Oilers in a long time. But but the 1993, they were down um, they were down 35 to three, and they came back and won. But the biggest sports deficit football was just last year when the Vikings came back and beat the Colts after being down 33 to nothing, and they came back and won. And you're sitting there watching going, this comeback could happen. And you watch these comebacks, and you're like, this is pretty cool. This is pretty amazing, whether you're watching like the NCAA uh, championship games, my LSU Tiger ladies won the, the championship this year, right? You know, if you saw the, <laughs> the stuff on TV, they're getting tore up on social media. But we love good comeback stories. We just love them. But let me just ask you this. Have you ever come back from a setback? I mean, maybe you had gone through a time in your life and you just like got buried financially. I mean, you're head over heels in credit card debt. You got too many car payments. You got a house payment you can't afford. And you got just this, all this debt. You got, you know what? I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm gonna come back from this. And you start just really pressing in and you came back from a financial setback. And that was a good thing. You know what it felt like? It was such a good thing to knock those debts off. Maybe you had a, some kind of a health problem. Maybe you had a, a setback, you, you got cancer, you were diagnosed with cancer, and you had to go through treatment, chemotherapy, maybe radiation, and you just had to rehab your body, and you made a great comeback from that, from a big setback. 
And maybe you, uh, you know, have some other kind of ailment. Tracy, she's an occupational therapist, and she was just telling me a story about, uh, you know, a lady that has been going through therapy, and, and, and she had this big setback. She's going through therapy, and this past week, her husband was able to take her out on a date for the first time in years. What a great comeback. And we love those stories. Yeah, exactly. We love those. We love those things. Maybe you had a, uh, you know, an addiction, and you came back from that setback, maybe just some kind of an unhealthy lifestyle, maybe depression, maybe that financial collapse, whatever it might have been, you came back from a great setback. And there's reason to celebrate that. There's reason for you to be joyful in that. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna cover some of those things. We're, we're kind of launching a series. We're gonna talk today about the greatest comeback of all time. But over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about comeback stories. We're gonna talk about comeback story after comeback story. And so join us. If you're just, you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you come back over the next few weeks and, and go through this series with us. But today, I wanna talk to you about the single greatest comeback in all of history. And it's the reason we gather here today because it is the resurrection story. It's the story of Jesus Christ. Friday night, we gathered here for what we call Good Friday, and we talked about and we observed and remembered the death of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And what we talked about, just real briefly, we talked about Jesus hanging on that cross, and in the moment that he was hanging on the cross, all the sins of the past, all the sins of the present, and all the sins of the future were in the moment while he was on the cross placed upon him. He felt the weight of your sin and my sin on the cross, so much so that he looked up to his father and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And it was in that moment that all the sins of the world were being atoned for by the sacrificial death of our Lord and Savior. We are sinners and he is a Savior and he made a sacrifice for you and for me. He took a death upon himself that you and I deserved. And in that moment, all the weight of the sin of this world was placed upon Jesus. And the world went black. The world went dark from 12 noon until three o'clock in the afternoon. And somewhere around three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus Christ spoke these words. He said, it is finished. It was done. The atonement for your sin and for my sin had been satisfied. Every sin, past, present, and future had been atoned for in that moment by the perfect Savior of the world. And he pronounced, it is finished. And at that moment, the redemption of mankind through the sacrificial lamb was completed and accepted by God. The atonement for our sin had been completed and God was pleased with it. And in that moment, it was finished. But it was not over. It wasn't over. The story was not completed yet. And aren't you thankful for that? I'm so thankful that Jesus died for us. But I am so thankful that the story did not end there because the greatest comeback story of all time was about to unfold. And today we're gonna look at John's gospel 
This is John's account. John was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. And John walked around recording stories for us, recording the teachings of Jesus, recording the life of Jesus for you and me to read centuries later, to understand what Jesus did for us. And John begins in John chapter 20, sharing with us the greatest comeback of all time, and here's how he told the story. Now, on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday, which is why we worship together as New Testament believers, because we worship a risen Savior. So we gather on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene was also known as Mary of Magdala. There's a little community right there on the Galilean Sea, and this lady named Mary was from there. Mary was a lady that Jesus would, would often venture through there because he would come through that area, go into Capernaum from maybe over at Nazareth, and he would come through this area, and there was this little town of Magdala, and Jesus would come through there, and one day he met a woman who was possessed by seven demons, and he cast and he delivered her from that demon possession, and she became known as Mary Magdalene. She became a believer. She became a follower of Jesus. And let me just tell you something, ladies. You should be thankful for Jesus because Jesus redefined women. They were suppressed. They were oppressed. They were not listened to. They were treated as less than in the culture. And Jesus lifted them up to a place of prominence. And as a matter of fact, this was the first lady who was a witness to the empty tomb. That's how much Jesus elevated Women, So you should be thankful for him. Uh, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And the reason she came early is because whenever Jesus died, he died at three o'clock. That's when he said it was finished. They had to get him down off the cross. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had to get him down off the cross, get permission from Pilate to bury him, to get the body of Jesus and to bury him. So they had three hours to get Jesus down get a tomb prepared, and get Jesus' body into a tomb. So there wasn't a lot of burial preparation done. They just got him down and got him in a tomb just to give him a proper burial before the Sabbath started at, at six o'clock in the afternoon. And so Mary Magdalene knew that Jesus' body was not properly prepared, and she couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. So early on Sunday, when she could go to the tomb, she ventured over there because they believed that she wanted to give Jesus a proper burial pre preparation. So she came early while it was still dark and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she told Simon Peter and the other disciple, which is John, who's the writer, this is how he referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So here's what she suspected. She didn't expect there to be nobody. She didn't expect there to be an empty tomb. What she did think had happened is that there were some grave robbers who had taken the body of Jesus and stolen him. Because Jesus had risen to a place of prominence, he had gone through this kangaroo court over the, in the middle of the night, and they had tried him and put him, uh, sentenced him to death when when everybody else was sleeping. And so she just assumed there were some grave robbers that came and got the body of Jesus and had stolen it away. So she comes and tells Simon Peter and tells John that. And so as soon as she did, Peter went out with the other disciple, or John, and they were going toward the tomb. They ran headstrong straight toward 
the tomb of Jesus Christ. And both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And when I read that, I was thinking, that's kind of a little subtle flex by John, don't you think? Like, just letting them know, hey, I outran Peter. These guys were always kind of battling about who was the greatest anyway. And this is just John kind of jotting in there, uh, yeah, that, that disciple that Jesus loved, he was faster than Peter. And he beat him to the tomb and he got there first. And stooping in, stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. To which I would say, I wouldn't either. It's a tomb. Who wants to go into a tomb? Other than now, we go over there and go in every tomb we can find, you know, when you go to Israel. But, but he stooped and started looking in. And then Simon Peter, being the guy that he was, he was following him, and he kind of elbowed his way in, and he said, I'll go in if you won't. And he went into the tomb, and you know what he saw? He saw the linen cloths. Is that cloths or cloth, clothes? Cloths, isn't it? It's, it's the linen cloths lying there. So he saw that, and he saw the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the other linen cloths, but it was folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and I love this, he saw and he believed. To which I would go, I thought they believed already. They believed, but their belief was not full yet. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing to believe something's going to happen. But then there's another thing when it comes to reality. And in this moment, John walks in to the tomb and he sees the linen cloths, the, the burial cloths laying there. And when he saw that they were empty and there was no body, he saw that and he was like, oh, this is what he was talking about. This is what he was predicting. This was what Jesus has been trying to tell us all along. So he saw this and in this moment, he finally fully believed the words that Jesus had been telling them. Because he goes on, it says, for as of that time, as of yet, they did not understand the scriptures. But in that moment, the light bulb came on. They went, this is what he was talking about. He's resurrected. He's not here. And they believed. They did not yet understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. The next verse is kind of like, you go, you just put yourself in their place. They go in, they see an empty tomb. Jesus' body is not there. They don't know where he is. They just know that he's not there and the burial claws are there. And they were like, they see this, they believe it. And they go, oh, that's what he was talking about. Those are the scriptures. And it says that this, the disciples went back to their homes. I mean, that's really anticlimactic, right? It's like, okay, he's risen. Let's go home which is what a lot of us do. We go to church, we celebrate, we, we praise the name of the Lord, we, we lift up the name that is above every name. It's Jesus, I speak Jesus, I speak Jesus, and then we just go home, and we don't do anything with it. We run into people all week long that are struggling with things, and they're depressed, and they're, they're, they're having marriage problems, they're having problems with their kids, and we just go home. When we could speak Jesus to them, you need hope, let me, give, let me tell you where the hope is. And some of you do that. But so, these disciples, they did not know what to do with what they knew. They did not know what to do with this message. They were like, 
okay, he's not here. Let's go home. Well, let me ask you this. Why do you think the resurrection is the greatest comeback? Why did we need the resurrection? Wasn't the death of Jesus Christ enough? I mean, after all, that's where our sins were atoned for. That's where our sins were paid. That's where Jesus's, I mean, that's where God's wrath for sin was satisfied, was in that moment on the cross. Why did we need a resurrection? Why was it really the greatest comeback? Well, I jotted a few things down. Number one, I think it was, number one, it was just a miraculous thing. It was just a miraculous thing that had taken place. How many people really are raised from the dead? Not that many, right? And we know of a few here in scripture, and one of them is very prominent, is Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. And you go, well, why was it, well, what was different about Jesus' resurrection? Well, let's just think about it. When Jesus showed up to Lazarus' tomb, what they have to do first? They had to roll the stone out of the way so Lazarus could come out. When they showed up to Jesus' tomb, they had rolled the stone away so others could go in because Jesus was not in there. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, you can see him just kind of walking out because he's wrapped up in these linen cloths and Jesus had to tell somebody, go loosen him, go let him go. When they walked into the tomb of Jesus, those linen cloths were laying there. Jesus had passed through the matter and it didn't matter. And so Jesus was miraculous. It was, it was just different. You know what happened to Lazarus later on? Lazarus died again. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Lazarus? He's hanging out in heaven. Listen to the story of Moses. Moses, I, you know, how did you even stand there and talk to that burning bush? I mean, that was really a cool story. And really, what made you really decide, okay, I'll take the step into the Red Sea. And, that, and he's talking to him, and all of a sudden, he hears this voice, Lazarus. Like, hey, that's, that's Jesus. He's calling your name. I, I know. And, and he's talking to, to Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, what was it like to be in the belly of a fish? Lazarus. And all of a sudden, they're saying, Lazarus, Jesus is calling you back. And he's going, oh, I gotta go back? And he, all of a sudden, he has to go back into reality of earth. But you know what happened to Lazarus? He died again. You know what happened to Jesus? He lived eternally. He's still alive in heaven today. He never died again. So it's different. Lazarus died again. Jesus lives eternally. So the, the, the resurrection of Jesus was, number one, it was miraculous. The number two thing is, is that Jesus personally predicted his resurrection. Do you know that Jesus predicted his resurrection at least, at least seven times? Very clearly, very vividly, at least seven times. And listen, and a guy who can predict his death and predict his resurrection and get it right, I'm just going to all in, I'm all in with that guy. I'm gonna follow him until I die. And Jesus did that. Jesus, in his death, burial, and resurrection, fulfilled at least 28 specific prophecies. Do you know what the odds of, of, of fulfilling 28 prophecies are? In a, in a resurrection? The odds, the, the statisticians filled this out. I don't know how they figured it out, but they said it's 10, 10 to the 17th power. I don't even know what that number is. 10 to the 17th power. It'd be like this. Here's how, they, here's how I saw it worked out. If we took silver dollars 
And we had enough silver dollars to go to the great state of Texas. <laughs> Amen. And we filled up the entire state of Texas with silver dollars, two feet deep. And on one of those silver dollars, we made a black X and we placed it in that pile somewhere. And I blindfolded Tom and I said, Tom, take off and go through the great state of Texas. I'm sure he's gonna go straight to AT&T Stadium. I'm sure that's where he'd go. And I want you to go and find the silver dollar with the black dot on it. When you think you're standing over it, reach down and grab it. The odds of him picking up that silver dollar with the black X on it are the same odds of one man fulfilling 28 prophecies about his resurrection. But Jesus did it. That's what makes it so miraculous. And Jesus predicted it. Another thing, it empowers other comebacks. If you think about it, Jesus made at least 10 appearances from the time of his resurrection to the time of his ascension. It launched into Peter, it launched Peter into ministry. It took John to a place of exile where he wrote the gospel of John for us to become believers. It took a guy by the name of Philip into a land of Syria that no one wanted to go into, but Philip said, I'll take the gospel to these people that nobody wants and nobody, everybody else shuns, I'll go there. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't want any part of his brother being the Messiah, after the resurrection, became a leader in the church of Jerusalem. He was that convinced that his brother had become and was the Messiah. Within 40 days of the resurrection, over 500 people had laid eyes on the resurrected Jesus Christ, later on, Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, reminds them that there were over 500 people who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, and many of whom, he said, are still alive today, but some have fallen asleep. So that many people had changed. There were, there were, there were chief priests who did not believe in Jesus Christ, scribes, Pharisees. They were persecutors of Jesus. They wanted him dead after the resurrection, became all in followers of Jesus Christ. We read about them in the book of Acts. And listen, there were doubters who believed, there were skeptics who came to faith, all because of this comeback of the resurrection. And then the final thing, it is the foundation of our faith. This is the reason we gather today. It's nothing else. Without the resurrection, we've got no reason to be here. No reason. Without the resurrection, you have no hope. It is life, death, and you're done. But with the resurrection, we have life, death, and eternity. It's the foundation of our faith. Here's how Paul wrote it in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. The resurrection is the single event in history that we base our entire faith upon. Take away six days of creation, I don't care. Take away Jonah going into the belly of the well, I don't care. Take away Moses leading the children of Israel across the, the Red Sea, I don't care. You can't take the resurrection away. That's what my faith is built upon. That is the foundational stone for everything that we do. Because without the resurrection, we have no hope. But let me just tell you this. Another comeback is about to occur. You see, Jesus made a great comeback. When he came back to life, he did something that no one else had ever done. But there is another comeback that is about to happen. In Jewish culture, just like us, 
They would have a, a napkin on their table when they would eat. For me, when I go to a restaurant, sometimes it goes in my lap. And then as I get older, it's probably gonna go here, right? So you start out life with one here and you end life with one here, all right? Somewhere in between, you put it in your lap. And when I'm done, I wipe my mouth, I wipe my hands, and I might wad it up and I'll throw it on the table or on my plate. And when the waiter comes by or the waitress comes by, they see that and they go, oh, he must be done eating. And they'll take all of that and they'll clear my table. But in Jewish culture, it was similar to that. The, the, the master of the house would throw his napkin on there when he was done, but occasionally he would not be done. And when he wasn't done, he would fold his napkin up and he would just simply lay it on the table like that. And whenever the servants would come by and they would see his napkin folded, maybe he had gone away to go to the restroom or go to do something else. And when he, they would come by, they would see, they go, oh, he's coming back. He'll be back. So they wouldn't clear the table. Look over at John chapter 20, verse six, one more time. Here's what it says. It says, then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. Now listen, I don't know that this is what it looked like, but I got this over in Israel and it looked pretty cool. And it is a shroud of some sort, but I don't think it's a burial one or that would be really morbid. Um, but picture this, Peter walks in, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been at Jesus's head, was not lying with the other linen cloths, but <laughs> it was folded. It was folded over, and I can't fold. It was folded and it was placed over in a place by itself. I don't know what was going through Peter's mind at that moment, but in Jewish culture, if a folded cloth meant that the master was coming back, I just wonder if Peter's mind went back to that night of the Last Supper. Jesus had washed their feet and he had been beginning to, to talk to them about what things were gonna happen, what things were gonna unfold, things that were gonna happen that they weren't gonna be ready for, that they needed to be prepared for. And one of the things that he said in that conversation is found in John chapter 14, verse one. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, but believe also in me. Don't stop with God. You got to believe in Jesus as the Savior. So when you hear other religions say, well, Allah is the same as God, no, he's not, because it doesn't include the Son. So when you believe in God, believe also in me. He goes on, and he says, in my Father's house are many rooms, dwelling places, many places for you to live and abide. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And then I love what he says next. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. I'm gonna come back and get you. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And there's hope in that cloth. 
There's hope in that folded cloth that Jesus left back as maybe just saying, I'll be back. Don't worry. I'll be back to get you. And in part of that conversation, lest they would get confused, he said, I want you to understand this about myself. He says that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So I don't care if you were baptized when you were an infant. I don't care if you've been baptized 40 times. I don't care if you've given more money to the church than anybody else. I don't care if you're the most faithful attender. I don't care if you filled up 250 Easter baskets and took them to the Jeff Gordon Children's Hospital. I don't care all the works that you've done. The question for us today is, have you believed in the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father? Because if you don't, when he comes back, he's not coming back for you. If you got to heaven and Jesus or Peter or anybody else asked you, why should I let you in? If you start listing off the things you've done, you're not getting in. But if you start saying, the reason I should get in is because of what Jesus has done. Because I put my faith and trust in him. Because the sins that I committed, he became my savior for So I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I am a wretched sinner who needed a savior. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And if you don't put your faith and trust in him, you're not getting in. Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. Bottom line today is is this. Jesus' comeback makes your comeback possible. You're not getting in without him. Every single one of us in this room and watching online, you have a choice to make based upon the message that you've just heard. Believe it and receive it, and you live forever with him. I mean, you you believe in Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him, you have life through him. Deny it and reject it, And you're gonna spend eternity in a place called hell along with all the other deniers and along with all the other rejectors and along with all the others who think they can do it on their own. It's not by works. It's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Don't try to get there anywhere else, any other way. It's freeing to know that Jesus took it all upon himself and you can't work your way there. It's by grace something that you don't deserve through faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love how John closed out his letter for us, or this little gospel for us. He said this, he says, but these things are written so that you may believe, that you may put your faith in Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, putting your faith and trust in him as your Savior, you may have life in his name. John says, I wrote it all so that you could believe. I wrote all of these stories so that you could believe. I wrote these things so that you could put your faith in a Savior who wants to save you and rescue you from all the things that you need to come back from. 
That's what Jesus did for you. And John recorded it for us. Would you bow your heads for me for just a moment? Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You have been depending upon works. You have been trying to, to, to think that it's your baptism as an infant, it's a, your baptism as a kid, it was a baptism somewhere along the way, or that you've given enough money, you're doing enough good deeds, and when you get to heaven, you just hope that the good outweighs the bad. Well, it's not going to. The only way the good outweighs the bad is if Jesus' death is one that you put your faith and trust in and saying, I can't do it on my own. I trust that Jesus did it for me and I believe in him today. And if you're there today and you are ready to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me. Dear God, today I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I am so thankful that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for the sins that I've personally committed. Today, I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone as my way to get into heaven. Come into my life and save me. I believe that Jesus rose again on the third day and that one day he's coming back for me. If you prayed that prayer with me today, would you just raise your hand? No one looking around, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it today in your heart, all over the auditorium, can we just celebrate and give it up for those who trusted Christ today as our Savior? Listen, we don't wanna leave you right there. If you will meet us either down front or if you'll meet us back in the guest VIP room right after the service, we have a box, we call it a new believers box. It's got a Bible, it's got a journal, it's got a reading plan, and it's got the next steps for you to take in your journey with Christ. And we wanna give that to you, no charge. So just meet us back there as soon as the service is over or come down here and we'll take you back there. But let's all stand together and let's just sing about the living hope that we have. If you need to come down here and just worship for a few moments, you feel free to do it as we close out the service today. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of Christ and for the resurrection of our Savior. And it's in his name we pray, amen.